It's fine. Uh, good morning, Rock Bible Church. Good to see you this morning. Who parked their boat up here? Uh, very exciting to see uh, what the kids are going to be doing this week, and you're going to be praying, amen, because uh, we love our kids, and uh, we go a little bit extra mile for them, and so uh, this week, apparently, there's going to be some sailors and some pirates on campus, which is why if you've left anything at the church in recent years, come pick it up. There's going to be pirates on campus this week, all right? They're, they pillage and destroy. That's what they do. Um, very excited for Brent and the team and everybody and what they're doing with children's ministry this week. And uh, I know I already said it once, but praying for them and the children's experience. Um, Gene's going to be teaching Bible lesson every morning with them. So um, pray for her. She's a little bit too excited about it, which is great, which is what we want. And um, and then we'll see where it goes. Uh we are this morning continuing our series in the book of James. Uh, we're chapter two. We started a couple weeks ago. Brent got us kicked off, and then last week we finished chapter one. Um, and I want us to um, to recognize something about James. I pointed it out last week, and, and I'll continue to point it out. Uh, James is a little unique when it comes to gospel writing in that um, Paul and Peter and John very much big picture kind of thing and how do we relate to the social and, and other people. James is very individual, specific toward us. How are you walking your faith? Uh, and we're going to see that and how that comes out in, in the passages that come. We saw that last week for sure. Um, and really the whole first chapter pretty much doesn't even mention other people. Um, but he's going to mention, start mentioning other people and how we treat other people, but it's not directed at them and who they are. It's really directed at you and how you view them and you being personally responsible for how you act and who you are as you follow Christ. And so I want to make sure that that comes out as we get started. Um, other than that, uh, I want us to learn some things and have some fun. Amen? So let's pray and we'll jump into, um, into chapter two. Lord, thanks for this morning. Thanks for uh, what we get to do every week. Pray, though, specifically for what we get to do this week with the children, for Camp Rock and uh, Brent, the staff, Jan leading uh, songs and, and uh, Gene teaching and so many others. Uh, and so I, I just pray that it be a great week. May you uh, be honored and served. May the children have fun and learn and uh, get a better understanding of how life really works, and Lord, let us take this opportunity to uh, project to them truth and reality, because they're going to be bombarded with culture, and we want them to have the tools and, and the truth to know where you are and how life really works. And so I pray for this week, pray for safety and whatnot. Then, Lord, for this time, as we look at your word, pray that it would honor you and draw attention to who we are in you. Uh, pray in some way that it all uh, draws us back to the cross. Um, but, Lord, be with us in this time and guide it through your spirit. And we pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Here we go. Or uh, chapter 2, um, my brothers, James is writing to... Uh, group of believers, and he's, he's trying to make sure they understand um, 
how we carry ourselves. Uh, and he's gone through a couple couple things already in chapter one. I'd encourage you to go back if you haven't seen those or listened to them. Go back and get the podcast or uh, watch them on YouTube. Um, but w- watch what he says. He says, my brothers, show no partiality. Um, I want us to see, really, we could end the chapter there. Um, it's an absolute statement. It's overarching. You could put a period after partiality and really be done. Like uh, when they write the Cliff Notes version of this chapter, that's the sentence. Show no partiality, period. Now, he's going to go into some detail now and describe it, right? He's like a good essay writer in your English class in school. Here's your premise. Now, make all your points and then do a conclusion, right? This is kind of what we're going to get from him. Show no partiality. If I said put a period there and that's the theme, then um, when would that apply? Always, right? It's uh, unlike any English rules, none of them apply always, right? But here, no partiality, uh, would that say in your family? Are you supposed to have a favorite kid? Wow, you're so nervous, you don't even want to answer that one. The answer is yes, you're supposed to have a favorite kid, right? Now the Bergen kids are freaking out right now. Right? Wait a minute. Which one am I, am I the favorite? I don't mean if, maybe second at least. Right? Um, I love favorites. In fact, some of you I've called favorite. Right? Uh, when are you supposed to have a favorite kid, Mike? When you only have, when you only have one kid. There you go. Right? Um, that's a joking thing. Uh, in reality, are we supposed to have partiality in our families? What about at work? How about when you're driving in your car and there's traffic and someone else has the lane you want or they're in your way at the light or whatever? Show partiality there? We show partiality in a lot of those environments. Most of the time, rather than saying uh, John is better than James, who's really most important in that discussion? If you're just... comparing John to James and you're you're doing partiality between the two, who's really most important? And yes, this is a trick question. Who said it? Jean, that's why she's teaching. That's why she's teaching the kids. Uh, It's not John or James that's most important. When you compare the two in partiality, you are most important. Why? Because you're the one who's judging which are the two were better. Whoops. Wait, how did I just get in trouble? (laughs) By being partial, right? We can be partial with our money. We can be partial with our time. We can be partial with all kinds of things. In fact, the more you think about it, you will find that you do it all the time. Uh, Where are you going to lunch? You're showing partiality, right? Partiality, and I want this restaurant instead of that one. Or partiality, I'm eating at home because I am partial to my money and don't want to spend more by going out. Right? Some of you are laughing a little bit too much with your smirks right now. Uh, So show no partiality. We got the theme? As you hold faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and the the Lord of glory. Ooh. Did James just contradict himself? Say yes. So we are supposed to be partial? Did you catch it? Show no partiality. As you hold faith in who? 
oh, it's not faith in myself or faith in my boss or faith in my company or faith in my government. Who am I supposed to show partiality when it comes to faith? Jesus. Now, I really want to go nerd on you for a second. Okay, I know some of you expect this from me from time to time. Um, if you're showing partiality to Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, who are you being partial over? Yourself, right? Jesus is Lord. He's glory, all that stuff. Um, is anyone else supposed to hold any status when it comes to faith? Do we, do we have like a scale where, well, Jesus gets this much of our faith, but we put some of our faith here and some of our faith here. Is this stuff over here supposed to exist? It's not. It's supposed to be all faith in Jesus, zero faith in anything else. Amen? I know some of you like won't say it. Three of you answered. Kind of like, I don't know if I buy that, right? Uh, here's the deal. When it comes to faith, there is no partiality. There's just one. For partiality, you have to have two to compare, right? Well, there's me and my mom. I trust my mom for a lot of stuff, and so I, I follow God, but then I look to my mom for direction. Well, that might be functional, but when it comes to actual pure faith, faith in God alone, right? So there's no partiality when it comes to faith. It looks like he contradicted himself but he hasn't really. Now, he's going to get practical with us. Verse 2, this is what I love about James. One of my favorite books, right? Um, verse 2 says this. If a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, you're not at Rock Bible Church. Oh, sorry. No, uh, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, hey, sit over here, you can be in the front row, or we got extra stuff for you, right? While you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit at my feet, ouch. Everybody feel uncomfortable? And we're treating one person one way and one, one person another way. Right? Hey, by the way, um, tech booth, I'm going to want the uh, Rock Bible Church uh, slogan in a little bit. Right? Welcome, Rock Bible Church, Christ Center. Right? We're going to get to that in a minute. Um, forgot to tell you that. Uh, listen, <clears throat> excuse me. You have, verse 4, you have not then made, or have you not then made distinctions amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Ooh. Uh, that's the uncomfortable that you felt when we compared the rich man to the poor man and who gets to sit where. Is something's not equal here or not fair, as some would say. My family doesn't use that word, but not good, at least. Someone's getting good treatment, someone's getting poor treatment. Um, we want to get away from that. Uh, why? Anybody pull out why from the passage so far? Why, why are we doing this? Sorry, i got to stay over here a little bit more because I'm walking off screen. Because the poor man deserves better treatment? Say yes. Does the poor man deserve better treatment than what's been portrayed in the passage? Say yes, folks. Or I'm going to make some of you come to second service and hear it a second time. Right? Do we, do we treat poor people well? 
by standard. I'm going to should on you now. Should we treat poor people well? Yes. Oh, maybe easiest question a church ever asked, right? I think I was supposed to say Jesus, but I know the answer was yes, <laughs> right? Um, is the rich man getting better treatment than he should get? Comparatively, yes. Thank you, right? We're training the rest of them. But those aren't the two biggest priorities as to why we don't show partiality. There's a higher priority than how the rich man is treated or the poor man's treated. It's how you're treated, right? Because this is what it does to you. You've made a distinction amongst yourself. You become what? You become a judge. Man, James is trying to stop you. Why? Because he heard his brother say it. There is one judge and there is one law giver. He was able to seek and to save, period. Um, who's the one judge and lawgiver? Okay, okay, good. Right, we got our easiest question in. Um, but when you become a judge, you notice two words later, what, what creeps in? One of them dirty four-letter words, with evil. I mean, thoughts, great. You can put anything behind that. Evil actions, evil intent. Blah, blah. But the fact that evil shows up when you start to judge, isn't that the exact opposite of what you think you're doing when you judge? When you make judgment, when you make distinctions, you're trying to separate good from bad. You're trying to push in, in better direction. And actually, you might be getting yourself in trouble. Right? You may have fallen into a trap that look good, there's a way that seems right to a man and its end leads into destruction, right? Another scripture. But really, you've trapped yourself by making distinctions. Get at your outline, look at the back, look at the top. What does it say? It says James 2, 1 through 13. Then it says the trap of distinctions. James trying to warn us of what this does to us, Right? We're about to get ourselves in trouble when we start saying this person's more important than that person and I get to decide. Does it have a negative effect on the rich man and the poor man? Absolutely. Rich man thinks more highly of themselves than they should and the poor man thinks uh, less of himself than they should or she, if, right? Um, but, but who affects the most is you. Why? Because that rich man and that poor man are going to continue to have that same experience if you're still infected with the evil. See, until you change, they're going to continue to have the same experience. Bam. Now, is that about your neighbor? Yeah, kind of. It is. But it's secondary about your neighbor. It's really about who? No, it's about me. Say me. Me. All right, that's three of you. Let's see if we can get to four. Say me. Me. All right, that was like 17. Um, who's it about? All right, we're up to 40s. That's good enough, right? We almost have herd immunity. <laughs> um, listen, this is kind of as like, so therefore, if this is true, my beloved brothers, has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? Whoa, uh, has he just said that the poor have value? Yeah, in fact, they're rich in faith in many ways. 
What did they just, what did God and James just do to the poor man compared to you? He elevated the poor man. Why? Because uh, we had a problem thinking that we were better, we're the judge, we show partiality or make distinction to hold them down. And what James is saying is, no, they actually have more value than you think. Is he really working on the poor man or is he working on me and my thinking? And how I make distinctions. He's absolutely working on me. Um, he points out one thing that they have value in. Are there more? Yeah, this is not the exclusive, comprehensive list. A poor man has more value than just his faith. He probably has some talents. He probably has a good heart. He probably can think a little. I mean, probably has a lot of things that he can do. But he gives one example. Why? To give us something to put our teeth in. A little bit of meat to put our teeth in. To say, look, um, there's a bigger kingdom going on here. And he's promised that to those who love him. Could a poor man love him? Say yes. But what's the real question? James is really um, kind of roundabout way asking, do you love him? And rather than just answering, yes, I love Jesus. How are you viewing yourself in light of the cross, in light of Christ and his sacrifice, in, in light of Christ's lordship, and in light of all the other ones that he is Savior and Lord and sacrificed for? What does it do within you to how you view them? When they start to gain value, uh, now can you listen to them? Can you hear them? Uh, can you offer to help them? Can you spend time with them? Absolutely. It, it changed your intent. It changed your definitions. Um, it, it really creates a new normal. Right? I love uh, to say this. I love when you become a Christian, all the rules change. Right? The game has changed. And don't change the game. You see, here now, I got to tell a story about Jair Forey. One of my favorite coaches, absolutely love him. Um, uh, this beautiful Colombian black man. Uh, my coach leaves. I'm in college. I'm trying to play my last couple years, and coach just jumps ship. We won't get into that story, um, but I hear they hired a new coach. And so I, I, I take the initiative. I, I have this disease where I initiate things. Right? I thought, you know what? I'm just going to go up to the school. I'm going to find his office. I'm just going to walk in. Bam, there he is sitting there. Accent. A black man with a Spanish accent. Is there a better thing? I don't, I don't know that there is. Right? And so I start talking to him. He he's telling me about his life in Colombia and how he grew up and playing for the national team. He played on the same field multiple times with Carlos Valderrama. You and I know what that means, but maybe not them. Anyways, um, he gets to be my coach for the next two years, and he would say this all the time, and I've, I've adopted it as a little bit of my own life philosophy. He says, in soccer, the game is always changing, but don't change the game. You're like, I, I think something's lost in translation there, Jair. Come on, we'll, what do you mean the game's always changing, but don't change the game? It's like, well, the game's going a certain direction, and where it's going, you better adapt to it and figure it out. Don't try to go off and do your own thing, because the other 10 guys are going to be confused. 
And if the other team has possession and they're doing something, you better figure out what they're doing and adapt to that. Because if you just make up your own thing and go do something else, you're not going to be part of what's actually going on. I have found that to be absolutely 100% true with my relationship with the Lord. The game is always changing, but don't change the game. I'm not the judge. I'm not the coach. I'm not even the captain. Figure out what's going on. Get involved and start changing your definitions. Because loving him means he's in charge now. Loving him means he defines the value of those around us. Loving him means you're changing your thinking. It's affecting your heart. And you're listening to this maybe a little more than just this. That's functional for me. Some of you might be the opposite. You've been listening to this all the time, and now you're going to start listening to this. That's the beauty of it, is every, every game's different with him. And we all have our own relationship with him. Amen? Verse 6. But you have dishonored the poor man. Ouch. Are not the rich ones the ones who oppress you? And the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme, blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? You know, he elevates the value of the poor man. He says, and be careful. The ones you think that are valuable, they're not as valuable as you think. They have flaws too, right? Which is probably more true about me than it is about them for my evaluation process. If you really fulfill the royal law, not just the law, the royal law. Oh, he just drew attention to the king, didn't he? If you're paying attention to the royal law, if there's a king and there's a law and you need to pay attention to it, who's not king? Whoops. Did I get my throne taken from me? <laughs> right? Royal law, according to the scriptures. Welcome to Rock Bible Church. We're Christ-centered, biblically based. Okay? Uh, according to the scriptures, there we go. Compelling casual community. Right? Where do the compelling casual community come from? They come from the Christ-centered and the biblically-based. Right? Not from what I like, what I'm, what I'm comfortable with, what makes sense to me. It comes from Scripture. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If you're following that, right? If you're trying to fulfill that. You are doing well. Doing rather than done. Done would imply that you arrived and you accomplished it finally. Doing means you're continuing to work at it. So I love the, the tense distinction there. But if you show partiality, you are committing what? Oh my gosh. I need to call second service and have them start coming first hour. Folks, if you show partiality, you are committing? Sin. Bomber Sunday. Scott just pointed out we're all sinners. Yeah, you know, sin happens faster and more easily than you think. It creeps in even in our decision-making, in our differentiation. Love that word. As we notice things as different in our own mind. Love, love what um, a psychology degree did for some of my vocabulary. <laughs> differentiation. Uh, if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. You realize what happened is you went from going, well, this, this person's important, this person not so much, to bam, you're now guilty and convicted of the law. We're not even looking at those two anymore. Now the spotlight's on you, and, and you get a new great title. Transgressor. 
I'm a transgressor. Hey, what do you do for a living? I'm a transgressor. I'm a lead transgressor. Oh, really? What do you do? Well, I teach all the other transgressors how to transgress. Uh, Verse 10. Whoever keeps the whole law... Whoa. How much of the law? Folks, I, I doubt that I even know the whole law. And here's the standard... Who keeps the whole law? As if that's possible. Apparently it is. It's been done at least once. Amen? Right? Um, But fails in one point. Has become guilty of all of it. That's not fair. Right? Uh, It totally is. And we're going to make sense of it. Um, I'm... Curious about your experience in reading James, because I know you read it religiously. Um, but we're going to clarify some of this here, and let's, let's take James's attempt at it, and then we'll, uh, we'll define it a little. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Who said that? Well, he wasn't at the mountain. God, right? Ten Commandments here? Yeah, we recognize? Exodus chapter 20, right? Um, you you got to remember that. That one's a fun one. You write it on anything you don't want stolen. Right? I had a basketball. Really like this basketball. I spent some money. I go and pick up games with all the guys at church, and they disappear. So I started writing EX 2015. Right? So if they stole it and went home and they looked up the verse, it's like, oh, thou shalt not steal. Whoops. <laughs> I just thought that was pretty funny. At least I can have a little fun if I lose something because it was stolen. At least I had a little fun in it. Right? Um, No, God said this. Uh, For fun? To pass the time? As a suggestion? As law? You know, it's interesting. Um, I I, I need a rabbit trail here for a second. What God says is law. What anybody else says is a suggestion. I want you to think about that in every area of your life for the rest of your life. What God says is law. Everything else, commentary. Suggestion. Change your view of family, parents, government, work environment, school environment, coach, the whole thing. Okay? Uh, If you do not commit uh, adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. I always thought that was backwards. How about let's not commit murder and just commit adultery? But anyways, this is the example I use. Um, are you guilty? Yeah. Are you in trouble? Okay. Uh, watch what it says here, verse 12. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Are we talking about uh, rich man, poor man anymore? Sure aren't. We're talking about you. And what what he's talking about is if you mess up in any one thing, if you disregard what God has said in any one thing, are you in trouble? Absolutely. How are you in trouble? Right? Because remember, we read uh, just a few minutes ago, you know, if you keep the whole law, but then you, you stumble in one point, you're guilty of the whole law. And I said, oh, that's not fair. Right? How is it fair? How does it make sense? You know, because murder could be worse than adultery, I would think, taking a life rather than doing something inappropriate. You know, 
think uh, adultery might be a little more bad than like if I stole a pencil. That's you know, and if I stole a pencil, that'd be maybe a little bit worse than if I just had one bad thought for one second, but did nothing about it. It was just just a fleeting thought, right? Now, isn't there a scale? Uh, James says, no, there's no scale. Well, how does that make sense? Because you and I know, because we're good humans. We've been comparing things our whole life, right? Some meals taste better than others. Some sports are better than others. In fact, some sports shouldn't even be called sports, right? <coughs> Baseball. <Amen>. Sorry. Um, <laughs> here's how it makes sense. If you have a bad thought, steal a pencil, commit adultery, or commit murder, who just became God? You did. That's how they're all equal. You show partiality. You make a distinction between two things. You decide somebody's not worth it. You speak poorly about somebody, or you think more highly of yourself than you should, which is actually a verse. You shall not think more highly of yourself than you should, which is great. How highly of myself should I think? Boy, that's an equation that has to work out. When you do those things, you've just elevated yourself and you're in trouble with God. Do the comparison between John and James. Which one's more important? God, there you go. Okay, he's skipping to the end, right? There's a whole little progression I was going to take us through. Doug just ruined it, okay? Because he's better than us. Um, oh, shot to the gut. Find the sniper. And anybody get the license plate on the bus that just, uh, he got thrown out. No, um, John or James? Who's more valuable? Both. Yes? Neither? Uh, John, James, or you? Who's more valuable? All three. There's no, we've, we have to get off of that boat. Sorry. Couldn't help myself. Um, you got to jump ship on that one. This whole comparison thing, this whole drawing distinctions, it's a trap, right? So speak and so act yourself as you're to be judged under the law of liberty. Why isn't he stop at law right there? Why do you say law of liberty? Because when you start viewing God the way you're supposed to, when you start viewing yourself the way you're supposed to, when you start viewing others the way you're supposed to, it's freeing. He's actually, law is actually trying to give you freedom, which is so backwards of a concept for us. We think of law as restriction. And God says you're missing the bigger picture. I'm trying to help you keep from trying to be savior yourself so you can just be Scott. I, I love my job. You might have figured this out. There are some clues, right? Um, in fact, I love all of my jobs. I have three. Love them. I love my roles. Father, husband, pastor, coach, director. I love all of those things. You know what I love more than that? Don't say Jesus. I know you're tempted right now. Don't say Jesus, all right? Heitzman kept, he said it too often. We shipped him to Idaho, okay? Um, you know what I love more than all those things? Everything that is not my role and not my job. 
It's someone else's job or someone else's role. And I am starting and learning to love all the things that are someone else's. What does it give me? Freedom, bounce in my step, smile on my face, more money, more time. Why? Because I'm not spending my money solving all these problems. More time. I'm not going and doing everything that I think I have to do. No, let them do it. It's theirs. Love it. More energy, fewer energy uh, injuries, right? In fact, now I get to injure myself on fun stuff. Playing basketball in the pool with the kids, Right? Did not end well. That's a story for another day. Uh, For judgment, last verse today. For judgment is without what? Oh, that's weird. That word just showed up. I haven't seen that yet. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You know, you know what just happened there? Boxing match. You thought you were reading scripture, and all of a sudden you found yourself in a boxing match. And you're sparring, and you're dancing, you know, and, uh, yeah, whatever, blah, blah, blah. You know, and, and sometimes in a boxing match, one of the boxers will be setting up the other boxer. Doing this, doing that, da-da-da, and ooh, there's a little shot. Ooh, there's another little shot. Ooh, body blow, you know, oh, oh, caught one to the chin. And they're working on him, working on him, working on him, until all of a sudden... Here comes the knockout punch. James has been setting us up. Boom, 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 boom. And then he says, mercy, mercy, mercy. Bam. What's your business? What's your job description? One guy, one guy. Have I made you answer like 16 questions already this morning? This is an interactive church, right? Sleepy church is a couple blocks away, right? Somewhere else, another town. Mercy, folks. Instead of distinction, we're supposed to hit mercy. When the rich man comes in, merciful. Poor man comes in, merciful. What's mercy and merciful? What's that push you? What direction does that push you? Towards God, thank you, new Mark Heitzman. Where's mercy pushing you? This one, I know, normally I ask kindergarten questions. Once in a while, adolescent, middle school, high school, we might be in college here. Mercy pushes us. Or higher judgment, and higher judgment is about value. It pushes us towards truth. The truth and value and judgment, they all come from outside of us. So be careful when you make distinctions because you think you're defining truth, value, and distinction. Get yourself in trouble. Hey, maybe the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen? Man, James, 13 verses, and I feel like I got slapped around a little bit here. Uh, first one is this. Partial distinctions only give you the part that stinks. 
Sorry. I, I, I have to understand it on the street. And I always feel like if I was trying to explain this to a group of soccer players at the high school, how could I say this to where it makes sense? Partial distinctions only give you the part that stinks. And yes, there's a little bit of like, what's that thing where it sounds similar? It's not, is it onomatopoeia or alliteration? Or I don't know, I get some of those phrases all figured out and mixed up. Um, partial distinctions only give you the part that stinks. What's that mean? You're dividing people. You're becoming judge. You're letting evil in. You're devaluing someone. You're overvaluing others. You are painting a false picture and headed down a road that's a dead end. Um, most importantly, you've taken on a role that belongs to, Doug, there you go. Fastest way to get in trouble, be on the opposite side of God and where he is. It's a big deal. Happens like that. In fact, sometimes you wake up and you're like, wait a minute, how did I get here? Anybody else sleep like that? Folks, if I fall asleep, seriously, find somebody else to talk to. I'm out. I'm done. Phone can go off. Uh, I've slept through earthquakes. My wife has told me stories of what went on after I went to sleep. Arguments in the house, da-da-da, lights on, blah, blah. Hey, I cleaned the whole house while you were asleep. Banging pots and pans, and I'm just out. And there are times where I will wake up, and I have slept so deeply that I think to myself, wait, where am I? Now, normally this doesn't happen at my house because I pretty much wake up at the same place at my house every time, right? But if I sleep somewhere else, man, the first few minutes is, I don't recognize these walls or that light or, wait, is Julie still here? Oh, she is. Okay, well, where am I? I can find myself in the wrong place when I've been asleep. And James has kind of given us a similar wake-up call. You can find yourself in the wrong place, and you can get the parts that stink out of life. And it can happen fast. Be careful, right? Verse 2. You got the man walking in in fine clothes and the man walking in in, in poor clothes. Are you making a distinction between them? Have you not made distinction among yourselves and became the judge with evil thoughts? That's verse 4. Verse 8. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Um, by the way, that came come from the lead teacher. Right? Jesus says this is what we do. Verse 9. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Partial distinction puts you in trouble, puts you in jail, um, puts you in odds with God, right? Um, second fill-in, guilt is a level playing field. Guilt is a level playing field, right? Verse 10 kind of explains that. Verse 12, though, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. He says, watch out because you're on a level playing field with everybody else. And here's, here's the, um, the accusation. Um, when you go to court and you're being tried for something, right, there's an accusation. It's the same accusation for every single one of us. 
right? You know how they say, oh, when I die, I'm going to go through the pearly gates, and apparently Peter's there. I don't know if anybody knows that for sure. I think it's just a cute thing. Um, kind of bugs me a little bit, actually. Uh, but we walk through the pearly gates. Maybe we say Peter or not or Paul, any of them, blah, blah, blah. We stand before God. Uh, what's he going to accuse us of? It's the same thing for every single one of us. Who's Savior and Lord? You or him? The follow-up questions are a doozy. As Jesus said, you call me Savior and Lord, why do you not do what I tell you? What? He said it like this, why do you not obey my commands? Right? We've got to be real, real, really careful um, because guilt is a levy, level playing field and everybody else is on that same playing field. They're in as much trouble as you are, which means you're in trouble. <laughs> you ever heard um, people talk, they'll be talking about something and they say, yeah, I got enough trouble of my own. I can't help them. I got to figure out my own situation, right? Have you ever heard somebody talk like that? That's gospel right there. That's a, a, probably the best of theology right there. You have enough in your own yard to fix, take care of, that you'll never be done. You will always be working on it, and you have zero time to solve someone else's problem, someone else's Savior. That's what we love about the cross. No matter what you've done, no matter how bad you think it is, Christ died once for all. That's freedom. Did you just snap your fingers like the trendy little woke kids? Yeah, thanks. Appreciate that. Joking. I love you, Emery. Uh, so that's uh, second. Third, mercy is born of honor and love. Knockout punch at the end. He mentions it three times. Mercy, mercy, mercy. Mercy is born of honor and love. Who are we honoring? We're honoring God. Um, you know, when you honor God, you actually honor yourself. You honor your actual position rather than your perceived or desired position. When you honor God, you're honoring yourself as you are rather than your passions. It's really a beautiful equation. Um, and who are you loving? God. When you learn how to honor and love God, you get to learn how to honor and love yourself. And that person that honors God and loves him and honors himself and others, guess who they get good at doing it with also? The poor man and the rich man. Let's not leave the rich man out. Right? His name's Rich. Right? Um, that's how we learn. That's how we get to mercy. When you recognize you need it as much as anybody else. How do you get mercy with God? First and foremost, you say, God, I accept your son as Savior and Lord. I accept his finished work on the cross, what it does for me, how it, what it accomplishes with abolishing sin in my life, making me free of guilt, free to walk, free to follow. That's where it starts. That's called salvation, folks. You could say it many different ways. We say born again. We say came to Christ. He said, said the prayer, or I went up to the stage. If you want to come up to the stage and announce your salvation right now, great, if you've never done it before. Um, my point is this. Uh, you need not do it any one way. 
You need to do it at least one way. That's how we get mercy. That's the path to true honor, true love, avoiding distinctions and the trap that come with it. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, what we heard this morning, for what you preserved for us through James. We thank you, Lord, for truth, that it actually exists, that you're the author. And as I heard the other day, Lord, that truth bats last. Pray, Lord, that we would be pursuing you and truth. Point out to us, Lord, where we make distinctions. Point out to us where we misstep or judge. Point us out how we can have faith in your Son and attempt at fulfilling the whole law. If you're here this morning and you've never done that, you want to start today. That could be your prayer with God. God, I'm starting today with you. You say that. You could say that to God right now. I'm starting with you, God, today, with your son, Jesus. Maybe say thank you. Uh, But tell us, as a church, we'd love to help you. Many ways. Father, thank you for uh, decisions that are made, uh, things that are thought about, and conviction. uh, But, uh, Lord, right now we thank you for the offering, what we're about to receive. Pray you bless those who give and May no one feel obligated to give. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody have a seat at the table. Everybody bring something to the table. May you bring your best to your seat at the table. Amen. Go with him.